for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. I give a shit. I really do. I don't have any of those jackets that say I don't care about you. Maybe I need a jacket that says I give a shit about you. You know, that's going to be my new line. Let me know if you want to, if you want one. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, I'm Dr. Lisa from Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. Um, and I just want to remind you, give us money. Give us money. Because you know what? Free speech, man. This this is a nonprofit. It's tax deductible. And uh, go to our radio show place page check us out radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate and also you can sponsor my show you know what i want to put this out there if you want to if you want me to give you a shout out like anything about you a birthday um you want me to announce a show you're doing an art show a radio show anything if you give me a dollar and you you know you put in a dollar and send me an email i will i will promote it how's that how's that i think that's great i'm selling advertising i don't know am i going to get in trouble for this tom i'm sorry i'm sorry um so anyway uh you should see me by the way this is what i wanted to talk about too is like the sexism of uh air conditioning because i came into here and i was freezing so um a good friend uh the host on before me billy c took down a a uh what do you call it a blanket one of those uh you know furniture blankets that has staples in it and i'm sitting here with it on but i'm really excited about our guest today which is uh a very uh very well-renowned artist visual artist lane twitchell hi lane hi lisa how are you feeling i'm feeling surprisingly calm really yeah yeah that's because you got all your anxiety out in like the month before this show no our green room session was perfect oh okay good good so i'm gonna tell you a little bit about lane and then i want him to like describe his work and then we are going to have a a a, a an in-depth knockdown knockdown drag out okay. interview <laughs> yeah knockdown First of all, I mean, Lane Lane has been in ther- therapy, right, Lane? Yeah. How long have you been in therapy? Well, I, you, I, you, I don't want to disclose that, but okay. I'm, I, I am seeing a therapist right now. And you have seen one, like, this isn't like you've been once or twice. No, I've, I've, been, you, I've been doing it for you, a while, but, I, but it's also uh, kind of what's on the table in therapy is that I'm actually pretty healthy. I have lots of people to talk to about my individual problems. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm not such a mess that I really need to go back. But that's exactly maybe when you should keep doing it. Yeah. Know? But yeah. I'm, I'm only going once a month. So it's oh, not. Oh, uh, okay. So you're in the just, maintenance program. Yeah, it's just a check-in. Kind oh, of thing. and you're, and I love that you say you're feeling healthy because I think you seem healthy to me. And uh, that's, well, that's yeah. good. That's Thank good. You. You, look ha- you look happy. Thank you. You do. Uh, so here's what I want to tell you about Lane, and then I'm going to have Lane uh, tell you about his work because it's better off that he, the artist, described it. And I already let Lane know that a lot of you are fucking morons and don't necessarily like not like my audience is all artsy and like you know studied art history. We don't. We have people that 
Lane, the people that listen to the show are doers. They're not like people that like I have utmost respect for the people that listen to the show. I'm Believe me. Sure. I'm sure. And they're not like people that like their parents send them to get art history degrees. You hey, know? but I know a couple of kids like that, so don't knock those kids. <laughs> you know, I don't want to name names, but believe me. Yeah, if you really care about art history, fine. But you know you know what I mean. So sure. we're we're not gonna get you so we're not gonna get so deep into this, but I do want you to understand Lane's work and so I met Lane in we were Lane and I were just discussing this in 1997 because we both had the uh, good fortune of being uh, accepted into the arts artists in the marketplace program at the Brooklyn at the Bronx Museum and uh, we had quite a journey journey doing that and spring semester of 1987 97 so we've known each other over 20 years now and uh, lane was clearly a star of that program and uh if you i put uh linked his website but you can go look it up and see all the new york times reviews he's had and all the collections he's an extremely well established well-respected artist and um his work is uh, visually complex. I'm going to say that. That's fair, right? Yeah, and sometimes it verges to complicated. I just want to note that. Okay. And it's a, a friend of mine. Don't you a, love that Lane is like kind of self-deprecating? Like no, he's because not. I have a good. I have a good friend who's a, a very astute critic that I have a long-going conversation with, uh-huh. and uh, that's something that we've talked about: the difference between complication and complexity. And this little device that my work is built on, sometimes when it's just the folded and cut paper, you get more, it's more complex. But then I take it and I do all these like painting link procedures with it. And sometimes Okay, we're not talking about the mechanics of painting. Okay. Okay, but describe your work in very broad strokes and very quickly. Well, the work that I've become known for is based on folded and cut paper, like snowflakes, like kids make. Uh-huh. Uh, it's beautiful that's the first part of my elevator speech okay and And then what are the themes what's the idea uh, so when I got out of graduate school I was doing work of uh, suburban landscapes I was interested in you know depicting the landscape and I was interested in you know the magic the magic rectangle of representational painting well I had this idea that I wanted to not depict just a single suburban house but I wanted to depict a kind of you know uber or vision or whatever mm-hmm. you know kind of like mm-hmm. transcendent vision of all the suburban houses and this was kind of inspired by a visit to los angeles in december of 1997 um and so then i but so then i came up i i thought of this idea i was i was experimenting with a lot of different ways of making my work and uh an artist that I really admired and still admire uh, back in the day was an artist named Michael Ashkin mm-hmm. who did a lot of models, mm-hmm. a, kind of a mad mm-hmm. model maker. And um, in addition to painting, I also really admired like Roxy Payne, you know, who's mm-hmm. a kind of like mm-hmm. gizmo kind of guy. These people don't know. So anyway, I uh-huh. came up with this idea of folding a sheet of paper and cutting right. an image into it. And when you unfold it, like you'd a have, snowflake, it's like, like a snowflake, dough. like yeah, but, but like this is like really sophisticated. And then yeah, and so then it it it, and then I also happen to be from Utah, and so the the and this thing which was you know in I was using to depict this kind of landscape, it was also a snowflake, and so then it also had this resonance with you know, this place that I was from. 
And then it had all of these kinds of potentials uh, for, you know, object making and painting. And it, it produced a style that, uh, um, a great phrase that I love is, is uh, the artist Donald Judd. He once mm-hmm. said, um, what every artist is looking for is the concatenation that grows, right? And a concatenation is a kind of formulation or a kind of device that, so the concatenation that grows is the kind of, as a kind of formula that one work leads to another work, which leads to Mm -hmm. another work, which leads Mm -hmm. to another work, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then the work leads you and you're just kind of like following along like, oh, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I could do that. And then, you know, you look back after a certain number of years and it's like, wow, that's like, the invention of a style or or mm-hmm. not maybe not invention but the settlement upon a style so i kind of moved over into the territory of of you know the pattern making painters mm-hmm. like philip taft mm-hmm. uh and and granted like yeah. fred, fred tomaselli was a big influence oh on right them. yeah and, he's great and, and so kind of getting over there in that uh uh-huh. you know beatrice malaise mm-hmm. right uh, mm-hmm. you know those kinds of artists okay okay anyway. Okay, so um, this is really see see what I'm saying, folks. He really knows a lot. No, but you know what? You are you are. So this is really um, I find this fascinating. Um, you are really really smart and really really educated, and I also think that um, the what's so interesting about your work is that there's such an obsession to it, right? Right. And there's also a ridiculous dichotomy, is that the word, or paradox? I don't know. There's something really opposite about how playful it is. Yeah. And obsession and playfulness don't necessarily line up. But I want to understand, like, what, what is it? I feel like you have a certain obsession about your personality, and that's... Um, inherent in every in everything is that right well um, yeah uh sure i'm you know i can say that i'm actually from a family of obsessives really Uh, what is what do you mean by that well my next eldest brother uh was a swimmer was like this hugely competitive uh, uh amateur swimmer which all of my close friends have known you know about this for years and years and years my sibling rivalry with this brother. It, oh, it, it, sibling rivalry! Yeah, it's almost. A Are kind you of, both really competitive? I, well, and I'd I mean, like, you, you, you. I know. I'd like to note that it's almost a kind of Richard Sarah, you know, Tony Sarah level. <laughs> Although I speak to my brother, I would never want it to go to the level of like Richard and Tony Sarah. You right? like your brother? I love him a lot, right? Yeah. But he's a very intense individual. Like, what do you mean? Well, he. he As are you, Lane? And so then the one above him. Was was like his, how many boys? His, all boy, How many kids in your family? So I'm the I'm at the bottom of a run of four boys. Bottom of the run. That's very uh, revealing boys. that you say it oh, that way. The bottom uh, of the uh, run. Yeah. Were well, you picked on? No, no, no. And so then I had a sister, oh, an elder sister, and uh, and yeah. So then, so then the top brother, you know, the the eldest of the four, is this brilliant snow skier. Um, oh my god and, but to the point of like he 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 pursued snow skiing so seriously that by you know the late 19 or by the early 1980s he'd quit because it was only it, quote it was only fun 
to ski in a snowstorm, right? Because he had so conquered, uh, he conquered the greatest ski territory in North America, uh-huh. right? Little Cottonwood Canyon in Utah. And he was such a master of every run down Snowbird or Alta that it was only fun under the most punishing conditions. Yeah, right? you know, that's funny. I feel like that about smoking pot. Like, I like to get really, or pot is an old lady, weed. is like, and I like to go into the most socially complex situations sometimes stone because otherwise I think I'll never, I think, how am I going to, like, just to prove to myself that I can. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I think I think there's an analogy. There's actually a really taught uh-huh. analogy okay i'm not getting you off okay sorry go no ahead. just between that and and then my brother you know skiing and and uh yeah and, obs- yeah. and you know and obsessive tendencies you know and so yeah there are times when i've you know i've just pursued my work to the point where i'm just blasting around so many layers of paint i have this drawing you know this cut sheet of paper that i've made that's so complicated i can't even see it you know, the studio becomes like a storm. It's mm-hmm. like a visual storm. So what happens? Like, do you get lost in making your work? At times, yeah. But so, then, but I'm, I'm, but I'm also kind of going back and forth as I'm, you know, a little older and more experienced in the studio. I like the work to still have that element of obsession, but I don't really push myself through those you know, I'm, I'm too old to push myself through those routines that you do, you know, when you're a young okay, painter. Okay, so we're, did you in ever your have mid-30s, a, did you Did you ever have a period where you went into the studio and then you looked up and it was like two days later or something? Uh, well, not exactly, I mean, but, um, but yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, so I want to, I want to understand about your family. I mean, that's kind of interesting. So there's four boys and one, and one girl and how, and where's the girl fit in? Well, and unfortunately, my sister was actually diagnosed 30 years ago. She was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. Oh. So it was a very long... Oh, that's um, hard. It, it abbreviated her life, and she's passed on. Um, what, what? How old were you when she was diagnosed? I was actually a freshman in college. Oh. I remember that. I was on the campus of the University of Utah, and I actually made this drawing. You know, I made this very somber drawing of this crooked tree. Uh kind of reflecting on you know my mm-hmm. sister's grave illness and mm-hmm. this diagnosis that but must have been yeah that's anyway it was a yeah so anyway and that so, resolved itself. so there were four boys and you were the youngest yeah so then i'm the youngest of these four boys and yeah. were, were all the boys really competitive yeah I, and yeah i think so I, and uh, <laughs> i seem to be the only one that like really recognizes it which is uh I don't know, you know, being part of a family and being close to your siblings and so forth, that's a very confusing dynamic, right? For anybody, that's a lot of boys. Right, yeah. So I'm trying to picture this. So, um, and and the competition involved um, sports, right? Right, but but this is what's amusing is we're all, with the exception of the oldest one who was actually in Little League football, we excel at balance sports rather than ball sports. And so you see swimming is actually a highly sophisticated balance sport. Oh, I did not know that. And then the next oldest brother, uh, the second one down, uh, he was also a diver. <laughs> and, and, then, and then see the oldest brother is a skier, right? And we're all very good. You know, and and these three, I'm not so good at water sports. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a big divide between. Did you have a sport? 
No, well, that's that takes us to art, actually. Oh, right? and, that's why and, he became an artist. Exactly. Seriously? Yes, and and this is part of like. Uh, wait, wait. Let me just get this clear. You were the only talented. You're, you said your father was an accountant or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but but you, were, you, were you the only creative one in the family? Mm, you know, creative producer, as they say. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the well, my no, my sister was my sister was actually a you know a creative producer. I, we actually just unearthed my cousin just passed on some drawings that she'd had in a filing cabinet of these amazing drawings that my sister had made as a, oh, really? as a fashion design wow. student. Oh, your sister was fashion design student. And they student. were, they were like, they were stunning. Actually, mm-hmm. I'd never seen them because mm-hmm. she'd made them in high school and they right. just got put away. Right. right. So she was talented and at drawing. Yeah. She was, she was, she actually was like a very sophisticated stylist and, and she was an expert seamstress. Did your sister participate in the competition, the family sibling competition? Well, no, because in some no, well, she, she not really, girl. not really. She was a girl, and and also in some ways, you know, she triggered it, and and so the next, the oldest boy is is he's the complete opposite, right? Of so so Anne, my sister Anne, attended Brigham Young University, right, right, and that, that and we get into the whole culture of the Intermountain West and you know the LDS people and so forth, but so my sister you know, attended the church school mm-hmm. and my brother Dal, God bless him. I love the man. You know, he, like many people of his generation, you know, he said, screw college. I'm just going to get a season pass to Alta and collect unemployment during the winter Alta, and work construction. Which the, is the a ski resort. Ski resort. Yeah. And so, so Dal spent his collegiate years skiing, right? He went the complete opposite direction of his perfect sister, Anne. Because uh. my, my sister was, so good and so, right. you know, so happy to be part of that so, but community. But you're obviously, when it, the point I'm making really is that you're obviously from a highly intelligent, obsessive family. And is yes. that a biology thing? Is yes, I think biology? so. I think so. I think so. I think so. And it's, and, and, and this is also kind of interesting to note. I'm, and I'm fine with this. You know, it is part of a process, but both my parents have passed away in the last couple of years mm-hmm. mom passed away last summer oh, dad passed away in 2015 right. they were both 89 oh, uh good. you know mom was very happy to follow dad you know into right. the world beyond and so that all resolved itself really well but um it's caused it causes some reflection my mom used to say you know you never grow up until your parents die Oh, that's so true. It's kind of a chilling thing to say, right? Yeah. And so, but but it also gives you, you know, it gives you certain license. True. It gives you certain license to go out into the world and say, well, you know, here's what I think, right? Right. And, you know, depending on your family situation, if you have a spouse that you're responsible to or you're sort of guarding things, you don't want your kids, you know, to, uh-huh. to hear your public statements or whatever. But But not having your parents around, you can kind of talk about them. And talk about yourself in a new way, mm-hmm. and 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 yeah, obsessive tendencies. It 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 comes from my dad's family. It comes from my dad. Uh, my mother was. If, I would say if there's a if there's a fundamental sort of uh, humor, you know, or or psychological thing, I, I would say that stubbornness, kind of a kind of like rock solid, unmoving stoic mm-hmm. stubbornness mm-hmm. characterizes my mother and my mm-hmm. mother's family mm-hmm. right these are these are lds 
pioneers. You know, What's LDS stand for? Uh, the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. Uh, we're Mormons, because yeah, you were brought up a Mormon. Yeah, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day right. Saints. And okay. so I, I try to use you know their preferred, more respectful uh-huh. term, LDS. Oh, well, you that's know. good. See, anyway, we learned something there. Learned something. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> and so they, you know, they pushed hand carts to the, to the, you know, the Rocky Mountains. Right. And, it, and, and you yeah. just had to be stoic. And you had to be stubborn to get that job done. Well, my dad's family, they represent a completely different, you know, kind of American family. And, you know, my grandmother was much too high strung. She never would have tolerated pushing a hand cart Mm -hmm. on my paternal grandmother, right? Mm -hmm. And she was a painter. She was a Sunday painter, Mm -hmm. right? And she liked fancy things. And so she had a taste for, you know, the fancy in life, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so the sort of the fanciness you know, the obsessive tendencies that gets channeled into, you know, fashion and decorating and making things to hang over couches. And so she made a lot of stuff. Well, I I think, yeah, I mean, she, she was, you know, she actually was a painter. We actually have like a whole body of work. So you do have a lot of creative people. So there, there was a creative thing, but you were able, but that's something that you you really focused on but also i'm wondering oh but then also to give my mom's side credit right yeah. she actually has a cousin who's a world-renowned violinist and oh. and and they were actually like they, they were actually like huge musicians on oh. yeah on my mother's side so there's a lot of genetics in there yeah but also your brothers were all really talented at sports so i can see how you would how if you're talented at sports and you live in utah which is a great place for sports i imagine you might just but you being the youngest, what was that like? You were because when you're growing up, you're the smallest. You're the least capable, right? You're the least capable of being like like if your brother's a great athlete, you're right. Know. And so, yeah. So, so what was so, that like? So when I could learn when I when I discovered I could draw in junior high, you know, it was the solution to this this whole problem about like what's my place in the world? You know, we we none of us are particularly good at ball sports. Right. So we couldn't excel. None of us excelled at basketball. None of us excelled at baseball. And I have a very fond memory of being in junior high and hearing some older tough kids, uh, you know, rip on my brother and saying, oh, he's a really crappy baseball player and feeling like a note of like really pride and be like, yeah, but he could like swim, <laughs> swim you under the ground or whatever. <laughs> right. He's a fantastic swimmer. But knowing that, you know, we're all like basically, you know, handicapped when it comes to you know baseball basketball and we can sort of play football a little bit but uh but but then but then the the problem is that water sports are a subdivision amongst other you know balance sports so see i so i gravitated towards bicycling Uh uh-huh and as an adult i've embraced snow skiing oh nice um but the but my brother's exceptional you know development as a swimmer it triggered a, a little bit of a neuroses in me as a uh, you know i mean he started swimming when he was 8 i was 5 you know mm-hmm. so it was really and and by the time he was 12 he was the best swimmer in like nine state in the states and he used to win, he used to take first or second and win high point trophy it went on for like 5 years oh my god where he he always won and i remember going to the swim meet once i love this story and these two other kids they were looking at the heat sheet right and they were looking at like who they had to swim against and one of them pointed up and was like oh, i have to swim against twitchell 
I hate that guy. <laughs> he always wins. <laughs> and I was so, again, I was so proud of him. Aww. You know, I was so proud of him. Right. I was like, yeah, he's the best man. <laughs> and and he, he was an obsessive. I mean, he was an obsessive Obviously. about swimming. Well, yeah. And he used to work out with the high school kids. And he has this very great story about when he was 12 years old, he was in junior high, he was working out with the high school kids, and, they, and, he, and he sat down on the side of the pool and he, was, he started crying because he'd made himself so tired. Really? And the coach, the high school coach came over and said, Kip, you go home for a week and I don't want him to see you in the water. Oh, wow. For a week. Wow. Because you're like, you're really, you're really overdoing it. Right. Well, so then, you know, I had this marvelous art teacher in Ogden, Utah, uh, his name is Mark Woodfield. He he ran this incredible art department where we had like 16 different categories of things to do. And he just ignited this thing in me that uh-huh, it was just like, a, and I was like, wow, I can be as good at this as Kip is oh. you know, at swimming. Did your, did your, oh, that's interesting. So you found, which wasn't a physical thing because as a smaller, younger boy, you're not going to be able to compete. But did you, how did your brothers, how did you guys handle it as a family unit? Were you made fun of? Did you feel inadequate? No, 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 no. You're just proud no, of No, my dad, my, no, not at all. Uh, uh, it was. It was. It, it has nothing to do with my brother, really. He couldn't help the fact that he was no, really good course, at this, and and then all this attention just pours onto him, right? And my parents, like, they can't leave me home. You know, I have to be taken to these swim meets, right? And so you're just in this environment where it's like, and and you know, in competitive swimming, it's if anybody that's been involved in it, you know, it's you know, it's a whole world of like. You know, and we go for, you know, you have to go for a week and whatever. And oh, like, yeah, because there's traveling teams. Uh, yeah. Right? And so, and so then my dad would take me off and we'd try to do other things or, you know, right. and, and then eventually I got to be, you know, once he was in high school and I was in junior high, I didn't really have to go to the meets anymore. Right. Right. So then it, it kind of split apart and I, I had this, I, I was, you know, relieved from having to to sit in these like you know hot swimming. Does he pools. still swim or what? What he does, does he do now? He does, what does yeah, he yeah. do now? He's a, he's a he's a banker. Um, so he's so he's, he's a real over high yeah, achiever. Well, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, but you know, he's a. Uh, does he uh, still live in Utah? No, he lives in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yeah, he's in finance, and um, he does swim. Uh, he has a pool in his backyard. Oh, actually. nice! And interestingly, though, he doesn't snow ski. So, so this is a, this is something I've worked through recently. Is that his his swimming? They they used to they used to do this on the Intermountain West, and they're not allowed to do it anymore. Kids that were good at sports, their sports coaches would ask them to not snow ski for fear of injury. Oh. And they've since stopped that practice, but but snow skiing actually fell victim to my brother's, you know, learning how to swim so well. Oh. And then because my dad was older and my dad had a motorboat, oh. we ended up privileging water sports in my family as oh. opposed to snow skiing. And this is this is actually something I've just and this has honestly been a topic in therapy. Oh, okay, see, to, I knew we'd get there. Like to take it back to therapy, yes. right? This has actually been a topic about mm-hmm. sort of reflecting on, you know, how great snow skiing is and and just like it's the most amazing activity anybody could ever engage in and I would hope all of your, you know, listeners would take up snow skiing and they'd be so much happier if they did. And how 
because my dad, you know, just because of the economics of the family and he had a motorboat and we'd take vacations in the summer and my mom would rather sit in a motorboat than you yeah. know, go up to a ski resort. Or hang out at a pool, like and, an indoor hut. Yeah, and, and, and skiing's very expensive, you know, yeah. and it's kind of complicated and so forth. Yeah, and so equipment. we didn't take up snow skiing when I was a kid. I only took it up after I'd moved to New York. You so know. you ski now? Yeah, Where I do. Where do you go? Uh, uh, I, I love Hunter. Uh, I think maybe uh, I'll buy... Hunter's great. I think I'd like to get maybe an Empire Frequent Skier Pass this year. So you, and go, go to you really go regularly. Yeah, we went to Whiteface last year. And then and then also earlier in the year... Uh, and this actually goes back to the work. Um, uh, I'm going to stop you right there because okay. we're going to do a station ID. Sounds good. But before we do the station ID, I want to um, you have you have some shows up now, and I want people to know what they are. Yes. So can you tell us where your sh- where they can see your work right at the moment? Okay, so I have a work um, um, some work op- or at a uh, retail uh, fabric design center called Fujio mm-hmm. over on. Um, park and 23rd and then i'm in a group show does that have wait does that have regular hours or what uh, kind yeah of hours? yeah it's uh it is actually regular business hours it's actually monday to friday um one to six so or, it's a, or, like a store hours yeah okay. yeah exactly and how how long is that going to be up till it's actually day? it's actually up till uh december wow the of december. beautiful yeah. oh that's wonderful and where else and then i'm in a group show here at 56 bogart right uh, here right here in our neighborhood and right in the neighborhood at uh, Gallery Man K. At Gallery Man K. Yeah. And is that that's on the ground floor? Yeah, and it's and, and it's and it's been up. It's a it's a group exhibition called Small, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it's been up through June, and I think it's open through July by appointment. Cool. Well, so okay, now here comes the station ID. So thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. This is Doctor Lisa, and you're listening to Doctor Lisa Gives a Shit. Uh, my guest today is Lane Twitchell, who is a very uh, well-respected and uh, brilliant and orig- I don't know. He he has a lot of go to his website and uh, what is it? Is it Lane Twitchell at dot com dot com? I, I That's T W I T C H E L L two L's like Mitchell uh, with a T W. Oh, look at that! And um, also, I want to remind you guys that you you know what we have this amazing mobile app. And it's really great because we have so many different shows and there's so many great people. And if you get the mobile app on your phone, you can like just join us and like hear us and hear what we're up to because like you could turn it on anytime and you could like in the evenings, you could get like such great different kinds of music. We have more talk shows in the day, uh, but you can like we have such a great variety that you are guaranteed to find stuff that uh is going to expand your horizons exponentially, okay? So just go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash iPhone or RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Android and uh, listen to us and get the noise from, like, the rest of the world that isn't pleasant right now. Take a break from that. So um, back to you, Lane. So, you know, um, there's something I really wanted to... Uh, we, we had talked about this, and I wanted to hear hear your perspective on this because so we were talking before uh in the green room as you say and um you had mentioned so we established that you were brought up uh in the mormon church 
or whatever you call it, LPD, DBL, whatever, whatever, whatever the respectful name is, Churchill Latter-day LDS, LDS, which is, which is, come on, it's, it's amusingly close to LSD. Oh, you're right. LDS, LSD. Yeah. Sorry, Mormons. Yeah, no, you're right. So you were brought up in Blame Albert Hoffman for that. And I'm assuming that you were part of that community. It wasn't like you had a whole lot of objectivity about it. It was just the way you were. were yeah, no. You and no. your family, right? You, yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. So you were brought up in that world, which, 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 you know, all us East Coasters find fascinating. But there's a specific aspect of it which relates to us as creative people, which I thought was really interesting that I wanted to ask to try to understand so we could all understand it, which was that um, I'm going to use the word proselytizing. So you, you're that community um, has a practice of like you were saying, your grandmother didn't have the patience for it, but your mother did like you guys have to go out and hand out information. You're, Right, right. And you were right. saying that your mother was stubborn because she needed that kind of. Uh, well, now that that doesn't really have that much to do with my mother, uh, maybe. or you know, maybe I mean, I'm, I, yeah, okay. Well, but, that's yes, not there, even important. There, there's but, a common. There, there's a common. Uh, there's a common kind of community phrase, community phrase, you know, promulgated by the leader of the LDS people in the 1970s, who was a man named Spencer Kimball, and he once. Uh, gave this sermon as people would call it and and he coined the phrase every member a missionary mm-hmm. and and uh since the founding of the latter-day saint movement uh which was by joseph smith jr uh, mm-hmm. in you know in fayetteville new york in mm-hmm. 1830 yeah it started here in new york oh that's so up, late that's a really new movement yeah upstate new york yeah mm-hmm. and then he in new york I you know, know yeah 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 so it actually started in new york and so mm-hmm. But but they've had a long kind of um, almost communal compulsion to go out and you know round up followers so to speak. Uh, so this this uh, you know continues, and of course you know in today's world many many people know the great Broadway play Book of Mormon, right? right? Yeah, which is all I don't about. Even think about that, but, but, yeah. but that's what it's so, about. Right. Oh, right? really? But, yeah, yeah, I mean that's yeah. what it's about. It's about like those kids. And, you know, they put on the white shirts and they go out and, you know, proclaim right. to the world. Uh, well, there's stereotypes about it for sure. We know that. Well, no. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So. So anyway, the point I was got, the thing that I'm curious about is that we were talking about putting your work out there, putting yourself like being on the radio, putting yourself out there. Yeah. And um, I was just wondering, like, I think that is the idea of putting yourself and your work out there for creative people everywhere i mean whether you're a visual artist certainly a performer even if you're a writer no matter what you do a poet we all make this work for even if we're making it really and it's personal to us there's always this thought of an audience how are people going to see it how are people going to react and in today's world i think it's a really uh it's becoming um a very um, layered and complex uh, kind of, um, you know, pursuit because how much do you do it and when do you do it and how much is doing justice to the work and how many, how much of it is it just to um, get people to, you know, to get the recognition, to have your ego struck and how much, what do you how much control do you want 
to have over your image and all this stuff is so complicated and so important and so coming at us really fast and i think what you were indicating that um the practice that you were brought up with has influenced the way that you put your work out there now and i wanted to hear about how it's influenced you yeah oh thank you well yeah uh uh i'd i'd like to Oh, I'm sorry, well, well, but can you explain first, like, how, what the practice was that you were brought up with? Because all I have is a stereotype. Oh, well, what's your stereotype? My stereotype is, like, kind of what you said. Like, honestly, my whole my whole impression of it is just, um, I mean, I've lived in Manhattan most of my life, sadly. Uh, very, I, I don't have, like, a lot of experience, but... I would walk past the Mormon church on uh, in uh, Lincoln Center, near Lincoln Center, and there would be people outside, and they look like great people. And, you know, I mean, that was just, oh, those people, that's what they do. That culture right, is right. what they I, do. I, but I want to understand well, what it was what like I've, for what you. I've, what I've ultimately settled on in describing the LDS people to people here in New York is that uh, Mitt Romney is like an Orthodox Jew, right? Mm-hmm. Like out on Ocean Avenue. Right, mm-hmm. he's not Hasidic, right? Doesn't have the temple yeah, locks, right, right? Right, doesn't wear the the vest or whatever. And I don't know the names of all the you know the Jewish right. accoutrements, right? But if I talk about yes. you know the Jewish culture, right, in yeah. in relationship to the Mormon culture, uh, standard LDS Salt Lake City, uh, you know, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, they are most like culturally, they're like Orthodox. Uh, Jews that live out on Ocean Avenue in that it's all, you know, community centered. Uh, there are very clear codes of, you know, behavior and even, you know, that even spills over to dress, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the underclothing and so forth. And, and it is, um, and it is no more, it is, it is no more interesting or less interesting than, Orthodox Judaism. Now, depending on how interesting you might think Orthodox Judaism is, or those people, or what they do, uh, I think drawing a comparison to the LDS people, you know, is fair to say they are no more or less interesting. So, are you talking when you say Orthodox Jew? I just want to be clear. Are you saying like Hasidim Jew? No, no, no. You're saying Orthodox Jew, just highly religious, but like you wouldn't necessarily know they're Jews. Yeah, but you can tell, right? When you go to Kennedy and they're in all black, right? You can tell the difference between an Orthodox Jew, right, and And a Hasidic Jew, and a Hasidic. Now, for sure, the Mormon people they also have their Hasids in that they're polygamist towns in oh, utah yeah. right At, on the outskirts in the in the mountain valleys and so forth so the mormon you know community they have a hasidic kind of component but the regular but i'm saying like mitt romney right, right right mitt romney he's like a guy that you see out in kennedy and right. he's wearing black his wife's wearing nothing but black the kids are in black you know and yeah. like they're in nice clothing all the time yeah. right they don't wear anything but black and the men always have the yarmulke on. They don't do the temple locks. They don't do the big, or right. they might do the big beards. I don't know. No, know? no. But, um, but the ladies, but, and also, I also mean that kind of as a compliment because I think Orthodox Jews are very 
well dressed. They always <laughs> oh, wear well, like that's nice. you know they wear nice clothes. Yeah, I'm a nice. Jew. I'm gonna take you know that. they wear like dark. They do dress. They well. do. They do. They do. You're yeah, right. especially at that orthodox level. Yeah, right? they've got good taste. And, and it look is. at the ladies. They always have nice clothes. Yeah, and and she's always in. She has like a little fur hat on. There's a little fur collar on the coat Very or whatever. And, yeah, and and they're stylish. like that. And then they're nothing. You know, it's again, it's no more freakish or interesting than than that right well um the point the point that i'm focusing on though is um like the uh the actual i mean for lack of a better word and it sounds pejorative and i don't mean it that way but proselytizing like the actual like what i'm what i was interested in is what you said about Promoting your own work and relationship to how you were brought up, where you had to put kind of a face on it or something in order to, were you, like, here's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing you, your mom, and maybe like four boys or five kids uh, standing on standing there with pamphlets or something. Did you guys do <laughs> no, that? No. What did you guys do? Did you do no, any so you of that? No, so you don't know. So you don't see, know. See, I don't know. But I'm see, trying to find and out. And you don't know anything about the play, right? The Book of Mormon. No, the I musical. don't. Okay. I don't. I, so should, the musical, I didn't know I was going to know about that. No, no. So, so the LDS people have a whole standardized, you know, routine when the young men and young women are in their early 20s. You know, they sign up for, uh, you know, this period of full-time, you know, proselyting proselytizing did you do that i did okay so when you were this is what i want to hear about as it relates to you what what was your experience is that okay can we talk about that he's laughing (laughs) i don't know really i mean i want to hear about it It sounds fascinating i know but okay we don't have to hear this is where my good friend christian viveros says lane stop you know you're getting in front of the work okay well let's not talk about that Uh, well let's talk about it let's talk about you know, we don't even have to talk about it in that way. We can talk about it. What I'm curious is how you feel about putting your... This is what I'm going to tell you, Lane. I'm curious about how you feel about putting your yourself out there and putting your work out there because I'm just going to say, like, um, as a guest on my show, as somebody who has so much to talk about and is so well-respected, I have never had anyone... Um, as um, and I think it's partly I'm trying to say this so it doesn't sound like criticism but and I don't mean it that way but I just am curious about why okay here's the thing folks we love Lane Lane's, Lane are you laughing or crying I hope you're I laughing love, you're laughing it's my observation I feel Lane, like I'm skiing in a snowstorm okay okay good here's what I want to tell you folks this is about Lane I'm going to talk about Lane and even though he's sitting right here I have never in my life had a guest of any sort as obsessed about what we were going to talk about and trying to control the situation as I have with Lane Twitchell. This is the truth. And Lane Lane and I have known each other over 20 years. We have a great relationship, a lot of mutual respect. There is no cause for any of this. It has nothing to do with me. And Lane is an obsessive guy. And I even called Lane to try and like chill it out. And, and I never call anyone. I mean, I would if they wanted me to, but like, I was like, Oh God, Lane doesn't have to think about this that hard. So this is what I'm trying to get to, Lane. What happened there? What, why are, what happened in your brain? 
Well, that I don't know. But Lisa, the reason, the thing that we're sticking on is, see, we're talking about this experience of me going around and knocking on doors that happened, you know, all these years ago. And we're not talking about, you know, where we are right now. Well, I'm wondering, well, we are and we aren't, because I'm wondering what was going on in your head. And I thought that um, when you mentioned that, uh, when you mentioned that you, before we were on the air, you were mentioning that, you know, because of your background, um, that that affected how you put yourself out there. Yes, it and did. And that's why I'm asking about it. Right. And, and this, and this is foregrounding what my, you know, what the nervousness was about, right? Okay. Is cool. that in the past, you see, when I've talked about my work, this tiny aspect of the fact that, you know, I'm descended from these people, you know, that did this thing. Right. And then have their kids go out and, you know, do this other thing. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I've always been too willing to talk about that culture uh, rather than, you know, all the other things that a person can can talk about in the world. And, and maybe, you know, more specifically what I think is happening in, you know, my painting. Exactly. And, and so, and so I want to, I want to just, you know, bring up this phrase that uh, in, in Ed Ruscha's um, first retrospective at the San Francisco MoMA. Okay. No, we don't have time for this. We have 15 minutes. Well, no, Dave Hickey just wrote this line where he said in, in the introductory essay, he said, uh, it's never just the work. It's it's never just the art. It's also the performance of the artist. Okay. Okay. All right. Yes. Now that's what you're getting at. Yes. Okay. Yes, and that's yes, exactly what you're yes, getting at. And yes. that was the first thing that I wanted to, you know, when you went when you were talking about the complexity of performance and socializing the work, and then we went into this sort of ten minute, you know, standoff where you wanted to talk about the that culture. And I'm sort of holding you at bay, and I got, you know, I was on on this side of the mic laughing a little bit because mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is, no, let's not talk about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the work. Let's talk about the new work. You know, I just closed this great exhibition at Father Knows Best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this work up at you know Gallery Man K, and then I have this work up. Uh, you know, right, we at right, Fugio. But, but okay, okay. And instead of talking about you know the 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 uh, you know dressing habits of Mitt Romney. Well, I didn't bring that up. You no, you did. Okay, okay, okay. But here's the thing, Lane. I'm trying to work this out with you because I think, and thank you for saying that. I think that was really honest. But here's the thing. Um, I do agree that you know putting Mormon in your biography where there's no. Where, you know, like saying that your work is done by a Mormon, that's bullshit. Who cares? And what that's not interesting. And it also distracts from the work. I agree with that 100%. But I do think what is relevant is your life experience. And when, and I think that, like, now that I'm talking, now that we're talking about it, I think that it would be great if we could work, if you, we could work this out because I don't think that you're, you're, thr- 
you're by not talking about being Mormon or you're not, it's not about being Mormon. It's your life experience and your life experience is unique. Like I was abused by my parents. Okay. I could talk about that. There's no religion specifically attached to it, but it's part of what makes me unique and um, has followed me through my life. So I'm just saying that like, this is a really fundamental part of who you are. And it's the actions, the practice that you went through, not the label. I agree with you. And I think part of the challenge for any contemporary artist is to find the elements of their personal narrative, which intersect in a general sense with other people. And to learn how to, uh, you know, talk to a therapist about the things that they talk about too much that nobody seems to get. And, and eventually, right. and eventually you kind of have to learn. See, the reason I'm hesitant to talk about LDS culture is because I've learned over the years that nobody gets it anyway. They don't really understand and, and it's, it doesn't really go anywhere. I, I, I think talking about what Mitt Romney wears is so irrelevant. I agree with you. And right. I think it did I try to cut you off? I should have. But so the but but see the point is um is that I'm trying to talk to you about your experience. So we can't completely ignore No uh, but I think I think also it's important for you to talk about your experience but not and we're not really even talking about your work that much, really. I mean, in a way, we're trying to find out. I just want to know why the fuck you were so obsessed about this, coming on the show. <laughs> well, in part because, like I said, I feel like in times past, you know, when uh -huh. I've made public statements or, right, you know, and so forth, right. I've talked about things uh, extraneous to the work, right, right. And, and that I've been made, I've been made aware of that through, you know, some friends that talking about things extraneous to the work, uh, and, but, but also, you know, we started our green room session talking about how difficult it is to talk about art on the radio. Right. And that, that's not what the show is about. Right. Right. And, and so, and so then I'm kind of approaching this, trying to think about, you know, as many artists are doing this idea about you know contextualizing the work or you know this issue of it's not just the art it's also the performance of the artist talking about these exhibition opportunities that mm -hmm. i have and your and the give and take here has been it's been fantastic Excellent. really it's yeah, been fantastic right. and it really like has that. been like skiing in a snowstorm because there have been <laughs> okay. times where i'm like i don't know where this is going but you know i, I trust you completely Thanks. now to take it back to our, our, our shared history, I have to own up to the fact that when we had our Bronx uh, museum, museum show, right. Right, I displayed a body of work called 12 Famous Mormons. Right. Right. And that I have, uh, you know, a certain interpretation as to why I made that work, mm -hmm. you know. And, and to me, as an adult, as a, you know, the, you know, we're talking 25 years ago, right? Right, yeah. I would say... That, that to me, the part of it that was more interesting was the part about fame and less about, you know, Mormonism, because fame is a concept that applies to America in general. Right. Right. And, and so I think what we're kind of encouraged to do as artists 
is to look at the place that we're from in this giant country and then extrapolate from our region some sort of distinction that we can then expand into work that applies in a larger national conversation. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I was trying to do with you about Mormonism to, to get down to the fundamental like human interaction of it and the psychology and how it makes you feel and how it is being from that background and being kind of like the only, you know, we don't know a lot of Mormons or like we, the general New York City people don't know. But I also want to, it's occurring to me like, See, being Mormon for you is kind of like what I'm going to call now the big tit aspect of you. Because if you have like really huge tits as a female, that's all people care about. That's all people see. That's all they want to talk about. I don't have them, but that's the impression I get. Right. And, and having, and being and having a Mormon your, is like well, big tits. Well, having your, having your BFA from the University of Utah. Yeah. And I know people, I know people that graduated from Brigham Young University. And they went on to get advanced degrees, and they actually leave their undergraduate uh, degree off because right. they don't even want they don't want to hand the paper across the table, right? And to be immediately like, oh, you went to Brigham Young, oh, you're, and then it leads down this whole side corridor, right, right, of issues, <laughs> perfect side corridor that they don't necessarily want to talk about. Right, and I understand that and I think that you I think you were exploited when you were young. I think you were. I think I think that you were exploited about your Mormonism because I think a lot of people um you know, nice nice handsome young man, interesting work. Oh, it's like this layer that made a lot that was that like uh, it may it was saleable or or whatever it, and and yeah and I have to own and up I agree to my that own, you were exploited and but I have to own up to my own culpability in that I you know I played into it to okay. a certain degree yeah right I, I, I don't like, know like that work that I made right. you know that I showed at the Bronx Museum right well if I didn't want to talk about that culture then I wouldn't have made that work but the solution and this was really like what's at the heart of the problem is attending art school at the University of Utah, mm -hmm. you could make work about, I would say, any subject matter. You know, they really prided themselves on being, you know, a wide-open liberal, you know, in the best liberal right, sense, right, right? right? You could take on any subject matter and feel confident that your colleagues in, you know, the crit would tolerate it, right? But if you brought in... Somehow the more you know the Mormon story or Mormon culture or Mormon history or something, right, which right. is right outside the door, right? Right, right. There's such an anti there's such a antipathy towards it within really? at the University of Utah. Really? Yeah, because I didn't know that. well the University of Utah tries to be like the anti Brigham Young. Oh, right? I didn't know that. Yeah. And so and so now that I'm going back and like retracing and getting back to where I was at the Bronx Museum, a lot of that early work was a reaction to having been gone to this art school where th this prevailing culture was essentially verboten ah, as subject matter. That's very funny. You know, for work, uh -huh. you know, for any kind of personal project or something or, right. you know. Right. But, but I'm also saying that when you made that work 25 years ago, that was really sensible, appropriate work because you were in that space. You had right. to process that and making art is how you processed it. 
and you know people jumped on that and you were you know whatever right but we're we're, we're but i still i i'm just gonna say that my sense um from our conversation today is that it being a being a mormon and it's not being forget about the m word or that whatever the experience that you had growing up is unique to you and it's uh uh notable to you and it's notable in understanding your you your work and everything else but you can control the narrative just like anybody does and i don't think i don't think not talking about it is the answer i think figuring do you, i mean do you have you talked about this in therapy have you thought about like how to 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 integrate that your childhood uh, your your background as a mormon into your into who you are today have you t- talked about that cuz no i mean i've worked all i've worked all of that out you have and and well in my life i've i've worked i'm not a mormon i'm an ex mormon right, right i am not raising my son you know in the LDS tradition. I am completely out to my family as far as my skepticism, you know, but I'm still like fully embraced by them, you know, as a family member. And, and, and also, you know, my mother's family, which is the, the LDS side, it's actually a gigantic family that's so big. Not everybody in the family is even a practicing you know, member of the church. Right. Anymore, and that's great. Right? We, we only have three minutes. So and, uh, I still have to tell people about, about the next show. But so the thing is, that is really beautiful. And that's taken a lot of work to integrate it into your life. But have you integrated it into your story about yourself to other people? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I I'm wondering because this is why I'm I'm asking this question is because um we wound up um butting butting heads on it or I wound up feeling that I this is my feeling. My feeling is it's hard for you to talk about more being a Mormon without putting it in the cat without talking about it and how it affects you specifically emo- mentally emotionally and in your you know the way you present yourself mm, well, you don't agree with that i mean i'm not right i don't know I have no formal training it's some anyway that's the feeling we that's ended up talking about the one thing that we had sort of said at the green room we, we weren't, weren't going to talk, talk about. about i know see it happened again well, this is why I'm thinking that maybe because it's not resolved. No, it's not. It's because it's because I kept trying to sort of put your I kept trying to satisfy your questions and sort of put them off at the same time. Hmm. And I didn't I never got the sense that I really satisfied your initial inquiry and my attempts to, you know, move the conversation on to a different place to talk about perhaps you know, performance as an artist generally and to get off of, you know, the specifics of my Rocky Mountain regionality. No. Oh. You know. Are you mad at me? I feel terrible. No, 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 no. It's just that, you know, you could be from the South and, you know, be one thing or, you know, be 
again, it's it's also like if you if if the power center of the United States, you know, a hundred years from now turns out to be Denver, and everybody in New York, you know, loses all their power, and everybody from your ethnic tradition immigrates to Denver, mm-hmm. all they're going to want to talk about is being a Jew, right? <laughs> no, no, but but it, but it's about the resistance too. Anyway, I you know, Lane, I thank you for coming on. We'll have to have another session about this where we this is unresolved for sure. And uh, we will. So um, stick around and listen to Lost and Rewound, which is a fabulous show by my good friend, 